Well, we're still in Job. How do you feel about that? I, I, I'm loving Job, guys. You know what? Um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, of all the books that I've studied over in the Bible, I'm probably the least knowledgeable about Job and maybe Song of Songs. Those are the two that are... So this has been a real challenge for me to really dive into the Scriptures and do it. And it's just been... It's just been giving back to me in so many ways. It's amazing. And today I hope to do the same for you from my study. So, um, if you read um, this week, um, it's good to know that we're already halfway through Job, if you can believe that. Um, It's been... It's kind of amazing, actually. It's been engaging and fun. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I... I love about Job is he's just he's just brutally honest with God. I mean he is. He's just he just rails how he's feeling and 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 we're going to look at that today. So we're going we're going to look at Job 19 today. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your app, if you have your books, if you have your bookmarks, please turn to wait. Don't say Job 19. No, no. We're going to because we want to get a little context. And so we're going to be, we're going to, we're going to proof Job 18 real quick. And so I have done the, uh, the job, if you will, of paraphrasing Job 18, which is Bildad's second speech to Job. And so look at Job 18 real quick. Look at it. Start going through it. Okay, here's the paraphrase. Okay, verse 1. This is, this is Bildad talking to Job. He says this. Verse 1. You're talking like a crazy man. Verse 2. Do you think we're stupid? Verse 3. Your self-loathing is as you expect the world to re- revolve around you. Verse 4 through 21. It's that sinful that suffer. It's the sinful that suffer. And you're clearly suffering. So you're not righteous. Man, just summed up the whole chapter. Should I do the same thing with 19? You will not be so lucky. But we're going to read, and usually I read through the whole chapter. We're going to read the chapter of 19. I'm going to read, I'm going to stop. I'm going to read a little bit more, and I'm going to stop and talk about it. Read a little bit, because I think this is worthy for us to look at and see. Remember, Job is replying generally to his friends, his three friends that have that have come, that have taken the time, that have sat there in silence with him, and then he, Job is just starts railing, and then his friends begin to start giving a defense to God. Remember the 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 idea of the retribution principle. God only punishes those that deserve it. And if you are going through some suffering, it's because it's on you. That's exactly what is going on. And Bildad's speech, his second speech is the same way. He just says, you know, only the sinful suffer. Only the truly evil ones are suffering from God. Is he brings his wrath upon him. And so if you're going through suffering... It's because of you. 
So fess up. And Job responds in verse 19. Starting in verse 1. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have reproached me. You are not ashamed that you have wronged me. By the way, I'm reading from the New King James. If it's reading a little different from the NIV, is what you read this week because we have used the NIV 1984 edition. I just thought I'd give you a little bit different look. And this is the New King James Version. Okay, So if you're looking at like, what is he saying? Verse 4. And if indeed I have erred, my heir remains with me. Know then that God has wronged me and has surrounded me with his net. We'll stop right there. How long will you torment my soul? Job answered Bildad with a familiar complaint that his friends were unsympathetic tormentors of his soul. They're not helping, is what he's saying to them. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about concerning this passage. He said this, They struck at him, and I quote, And they struck at him with their hard words, as if they were breaking stones on the roadside. We ought to be very careful what we say to those who are suffering affliction and trial. For a word, though it seems to be a very little thing, we often cut far more deeply and wound far more terribly than a razor would. D.L. Moody said this about it. We might say that many in the church today are as unloving as Job's friends were. The church has become very jealous about men being unsound in the faith. If a man becomes unsound in the faith, those in the church draw their ecclesiastical swords and cut him. But many may be ever so sound in love, and they don't say anything. Interesting. In this verse that I read, he says, If anything I have erred, my error remains with me. Job continues to steadfastly remain and refuse to agree with his friends that he has caused this crisis. By some remarkable sin and refusal to repent. Job is trying to be as honest as he possibly can. And so in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 19, we see Job responding to his friends. He's speaking to his people that are around him, the three friends. But in verse 7, it appears that Job turns to speak to God. So let's read verses 7 and following. If I cry out concerning wrong, I am not heard. If I cry out aloud, there is no justice. He has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass. And he has set darkness in my paths. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. 
He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. My hope he has uprooted like a tree. He has also kindled his wrath against me. And he counts me as one of his enemies. His troops come together and build up their road against me. They encamp all around my tent. What is Job saying? Job is saying, God has become an enemy to me. Or he's treating me like an enemy. This is one of the reasons, parts of Job just remind me of how it is in real life. When things are going bad, don't sometimes, why are you against me, God? Haven't you ever said that? I know I've said that. Which isn't exactly true. As a matter of fact, if you look back to Job 1 and 2, God is well pleased with Job. Isn't he? He's pretty proud of him. But yet, because of God allowing Satan to do some pretty horrific things to Job, Job, from his perspective, is God... Isn't he's treating me like I'm an enemy to him? And that's real life. Sometimes it feels that way. But the book of Job is showing you that that may not be the case, right? I want you to look at this these these things that Job say here in verse seven through twelve. He said, actually, verse eight. He says. I cannot pass, and he has set darkness in my path. I'll give you a word for that, what he just said, captivity. He's taken the crown from my head, Job says. That's dethronement. He breaks me down on every side. It's like being a wall that's being torn down. Job says, my hope has been uprooted like a tree. Being an uprooted tree, right? Job says, build your road against me. Having a siege set against him. And he says, they encamp all around my tent. Being surrounded. Now, some of the commentators that I read this week, some of the commentaries that I read, it says this, in this area, in verse 8, Starting in verse 8, he said, reverse this order and you have a step-by-step description of what happened in the siege of a city. In siege warfare, God's troops, according to Job, had laid siege as if Job was a fortified city. This is the, what Job is, is saying here when he's crying out to God and telling his friends, Continuing on in verse 13, Job says, He has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed, and my close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I am... Repulsive to the children of my body. 
Now, Job is crying out to all these other things. I just love, I, this is one of my most favorite parts of Job 19. He's like wailing. He's just like, no one listens to me. I have no servant. My people are ignoring me. And, and I have bad breath. Isn't that the way it goes? When, when things are going wrong, it's like the big things and the little things. Right? My breath is offensive to my wife. Okay, that's not one of the big problems. I mean, I think. I mean... My wife might have something to say, Sam, different about that. But I mean, when things are going bad, it's just like everything. You just pile everything on, right? Oh, I've lost my job. My wife's left me. And I got to stub my toe. I mean, that's sort of the way this feels, right? It's just. Just going on. God is against me. My servants have completely ignored me. I used to be this, a man of righteousness and well-known. And I was known around for my righteousness. And everyone disregards me now. And I've got bad breath. Hmm. Verse 18. Even young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me, and those whom I love have turned against me. My bone clings to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Let me just pause right here for a second. When the, when the King James Version was first translated from the Hebrew to the English, this part... That Joseph, that that Job is saying was a trans literal translation of the Hebrew. Now, how many of you have skin on your teeth? That's not skin, but that's exactly what the Hebrew says. So before that, there was no English idiom for by the skin of my teeth. But after the King James Version and the translation for this, this became an idiom. It's like, and you know, it's like, get something by the skin of my teeth. This is in, this is, um, in reference to a narrow escape, right? I just made it through by the skin of my teeth. You know, you're quoting scripture. Isn't that awesome? I love that. Okay. Now Job returns to talk to his friends in verse 21. And he reaches out to his friends. He says, have pity on me. Have pity in me, O oh, you, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does? And are not satisfied with my flesh. He's taking the wise counsel, the wise counsel of his friends, hard. He believes that he's being mistreated by them because they're continually beating him over the head that he's some sinful creature and he sort of deserves what's going on. Have pity on me, he says. And then he he cries out, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lit 
forever. Oh, that my words were written. Isn't that amazing? That this is exactly what happens, right? Job had no inclination that his words going to be written. But yet, not only were they written, they're found in the word of God. And the words of God will remain forever. Isn't that amazing? In, in, in Job's rage, and his crying out, Oh, if, if people could just see what is going on to me and for posterity forever. Well, guess what? They were. Job seems to have no sense that his own personal tragedy and drama would indeed be written or inscribed in a book. But they were. For generations and forever. And then verse 23. 25, sorry, 25. Give me a moment. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know. That in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you should say, how shall we persecute him? Since the root of the matter is found in me. But afraid of the sword for yourselves. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword. That you may know there is a judgment. Now this last section of chapter 19. Is one of the most amazing passages in Job. Because in the midst of of raving and raging about the situation that he's in, Job still speaks truth. Almost prophetic truth, if you will, because we have the end of the rest of the story, right? He says, I know my Redeemer lives. I mean, despite what's going on, I know at the end of time, I will be vindicated. And I will have someone who will vindicate me. Now, it's interesting, if you look at the word redeemer in the Hebrew, it's the word goel. Now, goel has a connotation of someone who will stand for another person who has been mistreated. He will speak up for him. Someone who is hurting, someone who has been mistreated, who is being downtrodden. What Job is saying is here, there is someone who will stand up for me. And he lives. And even during the time of wrath at the end, that Goel, that Redeemer, will be someone who has lived, who has seen it all. We know that to be a particular Goel, right? 
the Redeemer had two aspects in this time. And even for a long period of time, there was a, a, a criminal version in the law of Redeemer. And then there was a civil part of a Redeemer. The, the criminal part was that you were a blood avenger. If someone in your family was killed and that person ran away, that the blood avenger was to chase that person. In, in the law, there, was, there were cities of refuge for that person to go to decide whether this was an accidental death or whether this was a premeditated death. Okay? But the avenger was not going out to get revenge. He was seeking justice. That is a goel. Someone seeking justice. And Job, in this matter, is seeking justice. Because he's been a righteous man, yet all of his friends are throwing him under the bus, accusing him of some great sin. And he says, I know that someone will stand up for me, who will give me justice. And then there is the civil part of Goel. This was someone who is a kinsman redeemer. Who is someone who will buy back what has been lost. Usually with it comes with inheritance, land, property. And we see this in Ruth, right? Boaz is the one who is the kinsman Goel or redeemer. Who gives Naomi, who gives Ruth a hope for survival in life by taking on the idea of being a goel and a redeemer. So we have both a criminal goel that Job is crying out for. We have a restoration or buyback purchase of Goel, the jewel that Job is seeking that he knows will live. And that he lives. And that he will be the judger at the end of time. So he tells his friends, you need to be careful of the wrath. Because that redeemer or that Goel is going to decide. And then we look thousands of years later. There were people who were saying, Jesus, Jesus is Messiah. Right? He's the Redeemer. He's going to be the Redeemer of Israel. But then Messiah was hung on a tree. And he died. And for three days, that Goel that everybody was looking to, not everybody, but the disciples were looking to, their Goel was gone. But on Easter morning, when the ladies went to go work on 
the body. Something strange happened. It said, Jesus is no longer there. He lives. And so the explanation that Job said, I know my Redeemer lives, was talking about Jesus. Because he's still alive. He's still, he's living now. Our Goel is still living. And he'll continue to live. And that he will bring about justice at the end of time. Because he's a holy God and he's a just God and everything will make do. But he's also a restoration Goel. Because we are sinful. And that we are broken. And that we are supposed to pay a price for our disobedience and our sin. But our Goel, Jesus, he paid that price. He is our kinsman redeemer. Who took care of the cost of us and our sin. And now we can be restored. He's both Goels. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I think it is. And in the heat of crying out to God, truth comes out of Joel's mouth, Job's mouth. Almost prophetically, right? I believe this is the turning point in Job. I think in the rest of Job, when he cries out to God, it's not near as gloom and doom. I mean, there's still a lot of gloom and doom, but that idea that it's not always going to be this way. has It's just my own personal opinion about that. We, we, we need to look at the scriptures and we need to know that God has our back even when it seems like it's not. There are times when we can rage and feel like God is our enemy. We may feel that way. But you know what? We can't rest on our feelings. We have to rest on truth. And that's why God's word, he has given to us to speak truth into our lives. Right? Won't you stand? How many of you have that redeemer? You've asked him to be Lord of your life. That's good news. If you don't have that Redeemer, Jesus, you need to make it happen. Because He is the one that will redeem your life. It won't be me, me. It won't be Jeremy. It won't be anybody else. But the God, man, Jesus is the one 
who will redeem us for a relationship with God for eternity. We're all going to meet God someday. Someday. That could be a good meeting. That could be a bad meeting. It depends on how you know Jesus. And it's that important. Father God, I come before you. I just thank you and praise you for this opportunity. I thank you, Lord, that you wrote down the words of Job. That you chiseled them in stone. Because just like us, he went through some hard times. Some devastating times. Probably more than most of us could ever imagine going through. But you allowed it. You allowed it because it gave you glory. It gave him a chance to be restored and have a relationship with you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you do. Lord, help us each as we go through trials, as we minister to others who are going through trials. As we come upon trials, Lord, may we continue to look to you. We may not understand it all, Lord. How could we possibly understand what you understand? But we trust you. We trust you, Lord, with our lives. And we thank you for Jesus, our ultimate Goel, Redeemer. Help us, Lord, this day and this week to honor you, to give your name a good name, and to love you. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You guys have a great week. If you need prayer and you want it now to be done with with the elders to pray with you, the elders will be up front. We'll be happy to pray with you, intercede on your behalf or on 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 behalf of others. Otherwise, have a great week and enjoy the Super Bowl.